It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network, live from our tiny little home on the Isle of Maui, Aloha and welcome to it. Today, we've got a lot to dissect, I should say. I was about to say digest, but that's that's coming up in tomorrow's show. For today's show, well, we're going to talk a little bit about the statement from Donald Trump. Actually, we're going to talk way in length about it because it seems that, well, We've turned a corner here in America. Before I get to all of that, hey, welcome to my show. I am your host, a critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal and sane and always centered in common sense. You know who I am. My name is Shaggy Jenkins. You can find me at my website, shaggyjenkins.com. Or wherever fine social media is served, Facebook, Twitter, all that, just look for Shaggy Live or, hey, on Patreon. It's Patreon slash The Shaggy Jenkins Show. Okay, look, we have got a lot to discuss with this statement that Donald Trump made regarding Saudi Arabia. Now, in case you're not up on current events, not too long ago, a Washington Post journalist, okay, he's a naturalized United States citizen, um, went to a consulate and disappeared mysteriously. Now, in the aftermath of that disappearance, come to find out, the guy was brutally murdered and chopped up and his body was disposed of. Well, well, nobody could find it. And this was all done as of recently, according to the CIA and the FBI and, well, a whole slew of international investigation bodies. All of this came at the behest of the young Saudi prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Now, you you know him as MBS. He's been on this whole kind of whirlwind tour of drumming up all kinds of positive PR against the progressive movement in Saudi Arabia. Uh, It turns out that 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 whole progression is actually built on a regime, once again, that is despotic, uh, militaristic, and just a little bit of a fan of locking up its political enemies or going for them abroad and just killing them, which is what seems to be every indication from every investigative body on planet Earth of what happened to Jamal Khashoggi. Now, here's where it gets strange. A bunch of other nations, including places like the UK, who, let's just go ahead and say, they're in no position to make any enemies with any trade partners, anytime, anyhow right now. Um, Boys and girls, the Brexit, not going that good for them. But, here's the deal, even they, when it came to the allegations and then later the evidence being presented by Turkey, being presented by other intelligence agencies of an actual foul deed happening, well, the U.K. 
basically said we're not going to do any more business with Saudi Arabia uh, versus other stuff that's already on the books and that we've already got on the assembly lines. All that stuff's going to be pushed off. We're done. Canada joined them not too long after. But then when it came to the United States and Donald Trump in the Oval Office being asked for a kind of reaction of what's happening, well, let's just say that Donald kind of started doing the math in his head. And that's just it. Instead of talking about human rights, instead of talking about freedom of the press, which, by the way, kind of important here in the United States, at least the last time that I checked, instead of talking about uh, the abuses of Saudi Arabia in the past and the allegations and evidence that when it comes to MBS, he is a young prince who is not above taking all of his political enemies, throwing them in a hotel, and extorting them for millions and millions of dollars. And then also, you know, if he still don't like them after the extortion's done, having them mysteriously bumped off. So the United States and every country out there kind of knows on the the dark underbelly of Saudi Arabia, what kind of regime MBS, Muhammad bin Salman, is actually running. But no other country besides the United States seems to be as, uh, I know this is a weird term, invested in Saudi Arabia, at least according to the attitude of our president. Because when it came to the immediately, uh, immediate aftermath of this, he basically said, okay, this is how it's going to go down. Um, we got like, I don't know, a couple billion dollars of business out of them. I mean, they're buying planes and um, uh, Saudi Arabia has been one of those proxy countries that's helped us in our fight with other people. You know, I mean, uh, the, the money and the, the $150 million coming in this year alone, uh, 50,000 jobs. He basically did not even mention the value of one human life. He didn't even mention Khashoggi's life having value. Instead, he went straight to the narrative of Saudi Arabia being a very good trade partner with us and as is such, they, they, they are above reproach or at least they need to be given some special consideration. Now, I want to read to you, though, the latest in all of this because yesterday Donald Trump released a statement concerning the whole Jamal Khashoggi, Saudi Arabia thing. And, guys, this is the thing. Oh, God, how do I say this? Remember on yesterday's show when we talked about authoritarianism and I said that one of the ways that that, that weak leaders or at least weak humans like to show strength is by knocking off people and, and, and being real kind of strong arm in public, right? Well, no sooner did I make a show about that, here we are again, and I'm having to talk about despotic leadership techniques, and this is one of them. When you start forgiving other atrocities from other leaders that have a little bit more power, power that you may admire, it may be time for the public that you serve to kind of look at you and go... Dude, are you serious? No. But, okay, Donald Trump's statement, though, 
kind of does just that, because I want to read uh, this thing in, in excerpts. I've got it all read out, but I'm going to pull some parts from it, and, and we're just going to dissect it piece by piece, because here's the thing with this statement. At the end of the day, it, much like other statements that come from the White House, both says a lot and nothing. And, and okay, We'll get to it in just a sec about the things it says and the things it doesn't. So first off, it starts off with two words, and I'm kidding you not, America first. Now, boys and girls, I I don't want to stop this train right now, but I will if none of you realize that the slogan American first is rooted in white supremacy. That was a slogan for the Ku Klux Klan way back in the day. Get online, Google some images, you'll see them marching down the streets in all their little white hooded glory with the big slogan, America First. And keep in mind, America First was originally not maybe as brown, but it was kind of a reaction against immigrants in this country. So there's that. So our president's official statement when it concerns a journalist being killed is to evoke white nationalism. America first, the statement says. The second one, with an exclamation point, mind you. The world is a very dangerous place. The country of Iran, as an example, is responsible for a bloody proxy war against Saudi Arabia in Yemen, trying to destabilize Iraq's fragile attempt at democracy, supporting the terror group Hezbollah in Lebanon, propping up dictator Bashir al-Assad in Syria, who has killed millions of his own citizens, and much more. That is the first kind of opening salvo from this statement. So already Donald Trump is just trying to do one of those techniques that we've talked about on this show time and time again, and that is whataboutism. You see, it seems that anytime something comes up that could possibly be against you, well, what about this thing? What about that thing? What about the other thing? What about all of these things that makes my thing look so bad? It is basically a system of saying that no matter what kind of atrocities, what kind of bad acts that you personally may be involved in, those acts are not as bad as acts perpetrated by other people. Now, this is a technique that is time and time again used by the FSB, formerly known as that killer boy group, the KGB. Actually, what am I talking about? They're not formally known as that killer boy group. They still kill a lot of boys in a lot of foreign soils. But getting back to the whole crux of this thing, the first part of Donald Trump's statement is about whataboutism. What about... This dangerous world that we live in. What about America first? What about Yemen attacking in a proxy war? Poor Saudi Arabia. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because he does do the whole death to America, death to Israel. Iran is considered the world's leading sponsor of terror and, and all kinds of other stuff. And then he goes into this part. On the other hand, this is from the president's statement. On the other hand, Saudi Arabia would gladly withdraw 
withdrawal from Yemen if the Iranians would agree to leave. They would immediately provide desperately needed humanitarian assistance. Additionally, Saudi Arabia has agreed to spend billions of dollars in leading the fight against radical Islamic terrorism. So, He's basically saying that, remember all of that whataboutism, you know? Hey, it's, it's terrible what Saudi Arabia's done, but what about Yemen? What about Syria? What about this? What about that? And then he comes back around and says, but hey, if this war were to end tomorrow, you would actually see the Saudi Arabians being the good guys. They're, they're really just there fighting and killing and, and, and doing all of this stuff because they have to. But if we ended this tomorrow, they would turn into like the saving angels of the battlefields. And okay. Kind of a weird thing to throw out there at the behest of another country, but that's that's exactly what our president is promising, that, the, that if all of this stuff would end, the kingdom would spend, like, I don't know, so many billions of dollars in the fight. Now, he goes on to say that after his trip, to Saudi Arabia, they agreed to invest a hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, four hundred and fifty billion dollars in the United States. And according to the statement, quote, "This is a record amount of money. It will create hundreds of thousands of jobs, tremendous economic development, and much additional wealth for the United States. Of the four hundred and fifty billion, one hundred and ten billion will be spent on the purchase of military equipment from Boeing, Lockheed Martin." Raytheon, and many other great U.S. defense contractors. If we foolishly cancel these contracts, Russia and China would be the enormous beneficiaries and very happy to acquire all of this newfound business. It would be a wonderful gift to them directly from the United States. I know what you're thinking. Shaggy, We've got pretty far down in this statement. Is he ever going to mention the whole point of this? Yeah. In the very next paragraph, the statement from the president reads, quote, The crime against Jamal Khashoggi was a terrible one, and one that our country does not condone. Indeed, we have taken strong action against those already known to have participated in the murder. Okay, look, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but real moment here. Even me, when I'm reading some of these statements, I'm like, come on, man. Who are you kidding, dog? All right, but anyway, getting back to this. <sighs> Quote, after great independent research, we now know many details of this horrible crime. We have already sanctioned 17 Saudis known to have been involved in the murder of Mr. Khashoggi and the disposal of his bodies. Representatives of Saudi Arabia say that Jamal Khashoggi was, quote, an enemy of the state and a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. But my decision is in no way based on that. So here we have in an official statement from the president blatant Islamophobia. And once again, this reiteration of the words Enemy of the state. Now, that is words that Donald Trump admires a lot. Because here, he's trying to create, in the United States, his own 
list of enemies of the state, including a free and open media, uh, detractors of his plan, members of the opposition party, members of his own party that don't back his agenda as hardcore as they possibly could, or literally a litany of people for a whole miscellaneous bunch of reasons. I mean, seriously, our president has beef with a model named Chrissy Teigen. You know, the girl from Lip Sync Battle? The president knows one of the hosts, and not even the main host, of Lip Sync Battle. Don't we have more important things to do with the office of the presidency? But getting on, back to this statement, though. Here's the thing. They, the president is basically saying, hey, look at how much money is coming in. Look at how great this is for the American worker and the economy and stuff. So, one guy died but he was a bad guy. He was an enemy of the state, and <gasps> dreadedly, he was a Muslim. Oh, my stars. And that seems to be the whole crux of Trump's argument when it comes to presenting the tragic death of Jamal Khashoggi. Now, remember... Other nations around the world have elicited heavy and heavier sanctions against Saudi Arabia than we have. They have also stopped a lot of their defense uh, 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 contracts with Saudi Arabia, unlike us. And, oh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Russia and China and Saudi Arabia kind of already in business with each other, but... Russia don't like them because they're in competition for the whole oil industry, so go figure. So the whole chances of Saudi Arabia taking their business elsewhere, kind of a moot little point, huh? But look, Donald Trump has, has, has already taken a weird turn in his official statement. He's went from talking about America first, once again, a statement rooted in white supremacy and nationalism. Why does it anybody... Okay, anyway. I know. Sane man begging for sanity in an insane world. Get over it, Shaggy. I'm sure eventually I will. But the thing that kind of bothers me about all of this is that... Right now, okay, we live in a world, and I, I feel kind of crazy like a, a Nostrashagus here, because yesterday on the show I was talking about the rise of authoritarianism and all of these bad signs around the world, and here we are with our president basically saying that if you are a bad regime and you do business with us, oh, and you happen to have some common enemies, maybe people that I don't agree with in your little bucket list of enemies, well, I'm going to forgive whatever atrocious anti-human rights act that you take just so that we can kumbaya together and be pals. Now, look, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but Donald Trump going off the whole deep end with the Islamophobia in an official presidential statement, ladies and gentlemen, this is not the country we want to be in, okay? Whenever there is an official decree that uses slanderous or racist, misogynistic, maybe even biased, bigoted uh, against uh, homosexuals, uh, doesn't matter. If it's in there and it's in an official statement to the rest of the world and <clears throat> to the human race, 
America has failed. And when it comes to basic human decency, when it comes to standing by the Constitution that you swore on the day of your inauguration that you would do your best to uphold its values, remember that statement, Mr. Trump? Well, if you'll remember that statement, freedom of the press and protection of United States citizens who engage in freedom of the press is a constitutional right. The document that, as the president, you swore to uphold. And think about this. I haven't even got through half of his statement yet. <sighs> Fun, isn't it? But there's a very important reason that we, we take time to look at stuff like this because in the last couple of months, and especially the last couple of weeks, we've seen kind of an escalation of Donald Trump's anti-free press rhetoric, pro-nationalism rhetoric, and let's just be honest, open racist behavior. If you missed that, please just go back and look at any of the interviews he's given with a reporter that is a minority in the last couple of weeks. Donald Trump openly has shown signs of doing all of the things that, before he came along, America used to look down upon in other leaders. Remember? Oh, they're anti-this. Oh, they're anti-rights. They're anti-liberties. They're anti-women. They're a horrible country. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's America now. And Donald Trump cozies up to a country like Saudi Arabia because they're doing the exact same type of things he wish he could get away. And, and, you know, some of his cohorts, they wish they could get away with that stuff here. Clamping down on women's rights getting rid of any sort of reproductive freedom, um, making sure that things that are, you know, uh, considered proper and holy are mandated by law or else very stiff and archaic draconian punishments. Tortures, beheading, hand cutting off, public execution of journalists, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, bring it all back. That is what Donald Trump is basically saying he supports. Think about it. He hasn't said that he supports the rights of a free and open media in this statement thus far. He hasn't said anything about the, the sanctity of human life at all, not even when he was talking about all that bad conflict at the beginning. He didn't mention the human cost of any of that. Instead, went into this whole diplomatic, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and, oh, by the way, they spend buttloads of money with us, so we're going to sweep this all under the rug. At no point hmm. did Donald Trump actually do the job of a president thus far in this statement. Now, he's done a great job of being a PR person for Saudi Arabia. And I don't know how to tell you this. They're loaded with money. So much money that they pay the WWE to throw its uh, gender equality back 40 years just to pull off a big event there. 
So they don't need your help at all. And and furthermore, it's kind of weird because ruminations around this whole thing uh, had a weird turning point not too long ago when Jared Kushner kind of told people around his inner circle that uh, MBS, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, ask him after all this uproar happened with Jamal Khashoggi's death, basically point blank said, hey man, what's the big deal? We do this all the time. Why are you making a fuss? I thought we were cool with each other. Okay, maybe I ad-libbed a little bit of that because I don't speak Farsi, but you get the point. He literally called up and asked, what's the big deal? And I mean that literally. If you translated what he said to Kushner, what's the big deal with killing journalists? And it seems that Donald Trump, when it comes to his statement thus far, has said, honestly, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to looking like a tough person, ooh, we're so tough on terrorism, when it comes to all of this other stuff, really, what is the big deal with murdering a journalist, huh? That's the kind of mentality that Donald Trump has. And that's the kind of mentality that Donald Trump admires in others it is something that is i don't care about your personal feelings about people in in the media that is something that if you love this country and you say that you are a person that wants to upheld the good old american values then you really need to get uncomfortable with the journalist being killed because that is a violation of one of our most fundamental rights so fundamental, it's literally called the First Amendment. The freedom of press and the protection of free press and the principle that a good and sovereign nation should support a free and vibrant open media has been foundational to the United States since its inception. And now... So far in our presidential statement, he's like, meh, we got jobs out of it. We got contracts out of it. Boeing's real happy with it. Yeah. So what's the big deal indeed? Coming up, we'll read more of the presidential statement. And I have got a story so twisted about a racist candidate and her supporters. You're not going to believe it. It's up next, the Shaggy Jinga Joe. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. The Atacama Desert in Chile is one of the driest spots on Earth. Sometimes, can't even see any life at all. As I was a kid, those drives were really boring because there was nothing to see. Armando Asua Bustos was born and raised in the Atacama. He's now an astrobiologist at the Spanish National Research Council's Center for Astrobiology. And he says, with closer inspection, life can be found there. But you have to take a microscope in order to see 
microorganisms in those uh, driest places in, in the Atacama. Then in 2015, and again in 2017, freak storms from the Pacific flooded the Atacama, 10 times the usual amount of rain fell, turning some of the driest parts of the desert into lagoons. But the desert's hardy microbial life didn't exactly burst into bloom. I started looking at the microscope, I couldn't see anything. This is surprising. I was expecting to see a, a zoo of little things moving all around, but I couldn't see anything. In fact, after sampling three of the newly submerged areas, his team found only a quarter of the microscopic species they'd previously isolated in the desert region. Perhaps, he says, because the water killed the rest, through a process called osmotic shock. The cell doesn't have the mechanism to get all the water that is going into the cell to, to get it out. So they just start inflating like small balloons until they burst out. Their results are in the journal Scientific Reports. The microbial massacre should serve as a cautionary tale, he says, as we search for similar dry-adapted life forms on Mars, because several of the life-detecting experiments performed by the Viking landers involved, you guessed it, adding water. And it would be tragic if we killed the first extraterrestrial life we found. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60-Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. Welcome to 60-Second Civics, the daily podcast of the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. The term unalienable rights appears in the Declaration of Independence. It says, all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. The word inalienable was accidentally changed to unalienable by a copyist. Inalienable rights are rights that cannot be given up. One key to understanding inalienable rights, as distinguished from ordinary alienable rights, is found by turning to one of Thomas Jefferson's rough drafts of the Declaration of Independence. There, he originally wrote that all men are endowed by their creator with inherent and inalienable rights. Shortly before Jefferson wrote these words, the Virginia Declaration of Rights stated that all men are by nature equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights, of which, when they enter into a state of society, they cannot, by any compact, deprive or divest their posterity, namely, the enjoyment of life and property, with the means of acquiring and possessing property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. The similarity of this passage in the Virginia Declaration and Jefferson's version is readily apparent. That's all for today's podcast, 60 Second Civics where civic education only takes a minute. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to it. Oh, my God, if you've missed any part of our show, well, what are you waiting for? Jump over to our website at ShaggyJenkins.com and eh, give us a little follow. We're available on Stitcher, Spotify, wherever fine podcasting is served. Eh, just look for the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Uh, that would be me, Shaggy Jenkins, critical thinker, host of this program, guy just left a normal insane, but always centered in common sense, and found also on social media at... Shaggy Live. 
Okay, let's get back into the last part of the president's statement, because before going into the break, I had told you that already we're seeing some pretty dangerous precedents, including some racism, some linkage to white supremacy, and uh, ignoring one of the basic fundamental rights as a citizen in the United States you're supposed to have. But let's get into the very last paragraph on his statement, because this is the thing. When I read this last paragraph, I want you to think of one term that we brought up time and time and time again in the primaries. That term was dog whistling. Now, I'm talking about the presidential primaries way back in 2016. We brought it up again in the midterms, dog whistling. And as a matter of fact, over the first two years of Trump's presidency, we've had on this show six different segments all dealing with codified speech or <clears throat> dog whistling. So with that word in mind, I'm going to read the last paragraph of the, parag uh, the president's statement, and I want you to tell me what you think. Ready? Quote, I understand there are members of Congress who, for political or other reasons, would like to go in a different direction, and they are free to do so. I will consider whatever ideas are presented to me, but only if they are consistent with the absolute security and safety of America. After the United States, Saudi Arabia is the largest oil-producing nation in the world. They have worked closely with us and have been very responsive to my request at keeping oil prices at reasonable levels. So important for the world. As the President of the United States, I intend to ensure that, in a very dangerous world, America is pursuing its national interest and vigorously contesting countries that wish to do us harm. Very simply, it is called America First. So America First and its citizens dead last. Because Khashoggi was an American. Khashoggi was a naturalized citizen who, in a ceremony to get his naturalized citizenship, was basically told, hey, you're an American now, and as such, all the protections of the United States Constitution extend to you. And I know some people are like, well, he wasn't on United States territory. It doesn't matter. Because the president <clears throat> is, and speaking in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, you know, that whole America thing that he keeps mentioning should be first. He forgets the fact that this country is made up of citizens. And if you don't take care of the citizens, the country means absolutely nothing. If you don't take care of the infrastructure, the cities fall apart. Okay? You get it? It's very simple concepts. But remember how I said I wanted you to think of dog whistling? When I read this last statement, it's because in this entire statement from the office of the President of the United States, the victim, the person that actually died just doing his, you know, daily routine. He wasn't even on the clock when this happened. A guy died and our president basically said his name once. You go through there and you see how many times he mentioned jobs. You see how many times he even invoked the phrase America first at the beginning 
and at the end, like it's some sort of racist sandwich that America has found ourselves stuffed into. But that's exactly what, at the end, he's doing. It's called dog whistling. Because if you're another foreign regime right now looking at the United States and looking at the way that this thing is structured, you would basically say, oh, I get it. We kill people and we do business with you. We don't get punished. If we do something anywhere around the world that you admire even slightly, the atrocities that we can get away on the backside of that are limitless. Oh my God, it is clearly a brave new world for despotic and horrible, horrible people. The president in this statement is basically dog whistling to other strong regimes around the world. You kill your journalist, you that's fine. You kill our journalist, hey, that's fine. And you remember... Very, very succinctly, I remember this. During the lead-up to his election as a candidate for the Republican Party, Donald Trump used to joke openly about killing members of the media. Remember that? Maybe I'll kill them, maybe I won't. Nah. I don't like them, I hate them, but would I kill them? Nah. You remember that? He trotted out this, maybe I should kill the media routine, Time and time and time again when he was on the campaign trail. How in the hell did you expect any difference of behavior once he went from candidate to president? Now, we had talked even on this show about the presidential pivot of, of the seriousness of the office, office basically tamping down most reasonable men. And there was the problem with my whole plan with that show. I assumed reasonability. You see, when you make assumptions, dangerous BS happens. And Donald Trump is hoping that, that, that by making this statement that you will assume that one man's death is not worth all of these jobs and all of this money coming in. But let me tell you how economies work. There's other places to do business. And, and here's the thing. If you can't do business that you're doing with one type of country because you don't agree with them and maybe no other country likes that product, <clears throat> you change your industries, you adapt your technologies, and you move the F on. In other words, if you can't do business somewhere and you don't agree with them... Nothing should stop you. No economic advantage, no diplomatic... Nothing should stop you from saying, no, I support basic human rights and I can do business anywhere. It's a big planet, ladies and gentlemen. And time and time again, Donald Trump has shown a, a reluctance of... A, now, I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. Shaggy, Donald Trump is not reluctant in any sense of the word when it comes to shaking up institutions. Okay, okay, I get it. But, but what I'm saying is, is that Donald Trump does have a reluctance to shaking up financially advantageous to the Trump family international relationships. See, it's okay to bump around North Korea and stuff, but remember, as soon as North Korea started getting friendly with Trump... 
he made the little quip about, maybe I'll build a Trump hotel in Pyongyang. That may seem like an innocuous little joke, and a lot of people are like, oh, Shaggy, you're just one of those snowflakes. You're just taking the president too serious. You know he didn't mean it. Did I? Did I? Because it just came to light exactly how much of our tax dollars the Trump Jr. boys spent going all around India and Asia pitching Trump enterprise businesses, including hotels. In case you didn't remember, our taxpayer dollars, 150 million of them, sponsored a Donald Trump corporate trip. Look it up. It'll freak you out. But <clears throat> trying to stay here in the sane world and talking about this whole kind of world that Trump tries to align us into, when it comes to money, he is very nervous about shaking up anybody that could possibly have any sort of scratch for Donnie. He doesn't like it at all. And I hate to tell you, but here's the thing. Remember how I said the UK had kind of went after Kosh uh, the Khashoggi death and said, look, we're, we're not going to put up with this anymore? There's a reason why they were so quick to act against the Saudis. It's because the Russians have been killing people in the United Kingdom for years. Okay? Extrajudiciary executions of former Russian dissidents by members of the FSB, you know, the, the, the Russian intelligence agency? Well, in the dozens and dozens, they have been dropping like flies in the UK, and the UK has basically had it with countries killing other countries' refugees. Oh, or should I say uh, amnesty seekers? Remember, Khashoggi wasn't really a big fan of the crown in Saudi Arabia and wrote a lot of disparaging pieces about them, including, well, details of their financial crimes and manipulations, their war crimes, executions, and other violations of human rights. Khashoggi sought asylum and found it as a naturalized citizen here in the United States. So when it comes to asylum seekers, UK is like, hey, they came to us for protection. Stop killing people in our borders. And right now, we don't care who you are. Just stop the killing. So if it seems like the UK is a little bit more ahead of the curve than the US, keep in mind, Russia is openly killing people by the dozens in their country and then going on their own newscast back at Russia and saying, today in UK, a man fell from house. It was tragic accident. Maybe give you something to think about if you despise Vladimir Putin. Here's Igor with weather. That's how nonchalantly they talk about their agents going to other countries and killing people that their government doesn't agree with. Do we want that kind of country here? Donald Trump perhaps does. And time and time again has kind of came out on, on those sides of people that do that kind of activity and goes, ah, yeah, 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 attaboy, attaboy. So, weirdest thing that I can leave you with today about when it comes to the state of the United States and this whole big thing about, oh God, 
where we stand in the eyes of the rest of the world, okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. Pretty tyrannical. Okay, let's move on to a couple of other stories because, look, here's the thing that I have been avoiding all day. Everybody is going to be chanting, lock her up, lock her up at Democratic rallies. And no, I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton. In an investigation spanning months, using hundreds and hundreds of correspondence within uh, correspondence with officials in and out of the White House on official government business, Ivanka Trump used a private email server in violation of the Federal Communications Act. You know that one, the one that says, hey, all of this stuff has to be done on official government channels, and because uh, it has to be done on government channels, it has to be done on our email servers. No using of private email servers because that stuff cannot be captured and archived for, well, let's just be honest, um, record-keeping reasons. But Ivanka Trump used a, a, a private email account, according to her lawyer, while he, she was in this whole transition phase from private of, private citizen to public official. But the thing about that is, if you are communicating with officials inside of the White House and you have already been given the job, wait for your own damned account to get made. Okay? The IT department in the White House, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but creating an email address doesn't take that long when you're on the server side, okay? Doesn't it's a name field, it's a destination, a couple of settings, boom, you're done. I mean, any good IT person could probably wipe that whole thing out in about two minutes. And that's if you include that lively conversation that IT people are known for. 30 seconds if you don't. Fact of the matter is, is that the very same thing that Donald Trump went after a woman for of using a private email service. Remember, I'm going to have hearings on this and I'm going to say that that her use of private emails was an atrocity and it was terrible and it was horrible for this country and she should be ashamed of herself. What will he say now? It's his own daughter. And this is very interesting for me to kind of explore because Ivanka happens to be, uh, at the end of the day, a woman. And Donald Trump's support for women publicly has famously been, on average, not that good. So, what will it be when it comes to Ivanka Trump's private email service? server scandal. Now, people will say, well, she was a very busy woman at the time trying to coordinate between family and government, so it would make sense that she would consolidate everything into one email so that all of her apps and stuff like Calendar could be synced and keep personal private addresses and, and, and could keep those pertinent, important uh, meetings all listed out. And I, I understand that any argument you make is BS. I've worked in IT, and I can tell you that stuff can be done relatively quickly. And if it's not being done for you, it takes about, I don't know, one phone call to one annoyed guy somewhere in a dark room going, gosh, I'll make your email already. But no matter what defense you throw at Ivanka, this is the interesting thing. <clears throat> I 
can't wait to see what the defense from her daddy will be. Now, keep in mind, Trump has already taken off for his Thanksgiving festivities down at Mar-a-Lago, you know, flying over a lot of problems that he's created. But as far as public statements have come, as far as the White House is concerned, no. Nothing from the president directly. And I, I'm guaranteeing when he does come out, he will call this fake news. He will say that this is a deep state conspiracy. He will say that Ivanka, his daughter, is the most wonderful person. She's the nicest person. And she would never, ever, ever, ever willingly do anything wrong. However, we also have the case, remember earlier, the brothers spending all those hundreds of millions of dollars flying around on Trump official business? fact of the matter remains, when it comes to Donald Trump and his kids, the investigations are way beyond any sort of what he perceives to be a witch hunt over a Mueller investigation. The, the violations, especially when it comes to financial and ethical ones, are so numerous that really the Mueller investigation is just another huge tree that's fallen over an already raging woodpire. Speaking of things that rage and burn and, well, let's just go ahead and say leave nothing but ashes. Words. It is important to know the values of words, isn't it? Like, say for instance, when you look at one of your employees and tell them what you don't care about their job performance. It hurts them fundamentally makes them never want to be your employee again. And no matter how much your job tries to incentivize them, the fact of the matter remains. The words have already done the damage. Now, Cindy Hyde-Smith, she is running for senator, Mississippi, and here lately she's been in a lot of trouble. Because in a special runoff that's supposed to be held against Mike X, uh, Espy, the Democrat, November 27th, uh, she's going to have a hard time getting to the polls, mainly because she might not even have gas money. Here's the thing. Organization after organization. Now, you've, you've probably heard the big list. Places like Walmart and Boeing and other companies that, that have invested AT&T, uh, other companies that invested into donating to Cindy Hyde-Smith's campaign have all started in record numbers asking for refunds and retracting their public support of her. But one person that pulled out his support, and it was only about $2,700, okay? One guy that pulled out his support Speaks volumes about how strange it's got. Okay, here's the thing. When it comes to all the people currently supporting, or should I say, currently trying not to support Cindy Hyde-Smith, who basically said if one of her compatriots had invited her to a public hanging, she would sit in the front row. She said this in Mississippi. Statistically speaking, the state in the United States that between the Reconstruction period of the Civil War and today has had more racial lynchings than any other state in the United States. Mississippi, the lynching capital of the United States, she said that if her good 
Buddy the Cattleman, good supporter of hers, would have invited her out to a public hanging while she'd sit front row. And immediately in the aftermath of that, basically said, oh, my thing was taken out of context. She said this in a statement, by the way. It was taken out of context. It was just a colloquialism. Leave me alone. And then six or seven times when confronted with the media throughout the day, all she would say is, we've made our statement. Please go see our statement. We've made our statement. Please go say our statement. In other words, I know I screwed up. I really, really screwed the pooch on this one. But I made a statement and I have to stick by it. And that's the problem. Once you make a statement, whether or not you believe you have to, others will hold you up to said statement. And when it came to the voting public of Mississippi, they're like, what kind of woman would say that she would sit front row at a public hanging? Is this the type of standard our state needs to uphold? Then she comes out and says, oh, well, it was a joke. And, and everybody in the state said, no, it's a little too late for jokes. I think you made your point abundantly clear. Sit down, Cindy. We'll talk to you in a minute. But one guy that is uh, kind of, how do I say this? Interesting. Happens to be from Seattle. His name is Peter Zeev. He owns this aerospace supplier company called Electro Impact. Now, on November 14th, he donated a little over $2,500 to Hyde Smith's campaign. Here's the thing. The donation was requested to be returned, and it was returned. But here's something interesting. Zeev, Peter Zeev, the owner of that company, was sued in 2017 by the state of Washington for refusing to hire Muslims at his company and expressed hatred for Muslims at work. Get this. He also he also offered a thousand dollar marriage bonuses and child bonuses to employees to encourage them to procreate, writing in an email that was revealed in the court that he wanted to prevent the US from becoming, quote, backfilled with rubbish from the desperate and criminal populations of the third world. Now he's also accused of requiring applicants to submit pictures before engineering jobs, and after years long investigation. They said that they had violated state law by discriminating on the basis of religion and marital status. Now, since then, he's entered in a 42-month uh, court-mandated consent decree with the attorneys general. But that, of course, uh, means the company has to pay out about mm, half a million dollars in settlement and remove this guy from making direct hiring decisions. He donated to the campaign because he found somebody like-minded. And now... Think about this. A guy that was sued because he was paying white people to breed in his very racially discriminating, theologically discerning company that, okay, I'm just going to say this, by the way, if you're a big theologist, uh, working at an aerospace company is kind of hypocrisy. You're literally flying in the face of God. But moving on. Isn't it funny that when it comes to this story of Cindy Hyde Smith, that despite the bad and terrible racist thing that she said from the very horribly racist and very pro-lynching state that she said it from, isn't the worst thing about this story? It's the fact that when you look through her donors, you start to see a pattern of very, here's the disturbing word, rich 
and bigoted, like-minded people. So think about it this way, too. When you talk about this one donation and how it was pulled away, and, oh, by the way, the guy was, like, racist AF, um, when we talk about all of this, in the long run, will anybody really start to equate that these are the type of people secretly in charge right now? And that when a like-minded individual gets up and dog whistles something like bring back lynching, they respond? In this case, they respond by retracting money. Because, let's face it, some racists are just too racist for other racists. Till next time, love you, mean it, get in by.